0: You have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. We'll continue our series, Blessed, this morning by looking at verse number 8. But Let's back up and let's just read through the Beatitudes to this point. Uh, Beginning in uh, verse number 2, it says, And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this morning's text says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's begin with understanding what, what he's saying when he says the pure in heart. That word pure... Uh, William Barclay has once uh, uh, given a definition that I think is very helpful for us to understand uh, what is being spoken about here. Because uh, according to William Barclay, there are many different interpretations to that one word, pure. Sometimes in the scripture, it's used to describe clear water or clean water. Sometimes it's used to describe a metal without alloy. Sometimes it's used uh, to describe grain that had been winnowed through, through that process. It, it's used to describe feelings that are unmixed. But in the context of how it's used in this verse, it's the idea of being free from any hint of evil. It, it, it's talking about having a mind and a heart that doesn't have mixed motives. It, it is Clear, it is pure, it is completely focused on God without any uh, divided loyalties that come into the picture. It is a a pure, undivided focus and attention on the relationship with God. It is a heart of singleness and devotion to God. It's, It's a devotion that is pure, unmixed completely focused on honoring and glorifying God and all that we think about and all that we do and all that we say. Now, in Jesus' day, much like today, there was an urgent need for this understanding because the Pharisees had a tendency to overfixate on externalizing everything. So much so that Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 23, Uh, verses 25 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside there are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Then he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, "...which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." James picks up on this, and James refers to this idea in James chapter 4, verse number 8, where he says, to purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is talking about he's saying, get rid of your mixed motives. Get rid of your double-mindedness. Get rid of your split loyalties. Be simple and pure in your devotion to God. Now, the depth of devotion of what is called for is seen in the qualifying words when he says, in heart. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, in the Bible, heart includes the emotions and the will of an individual. It is the totality of what we think, how we feel, what we do, and what we decide. It all overflows from the heart. So to be pure in heart means not only should our minds be focused upon God, but so should our feelings and our actions be focused upon God. That's why I love Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. These aren't in your notes, but write it down. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, in the New Living Translation, I think it renders it the, the clearest. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. All that you do is the result of what is contained within the heart. So a pure heart is a heart that has no hypocrisy, It's a heart that there's no hidden motives. Uh, The pure in heart are marked by their transparency and their uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than just external purity of behavior. To be pure in heart is an internal purity of the soul, of the being, of the person. The Pharisees, they lived for a reputation, not for character, which a couple quotes from D.L. Moody this morning. Uh, At one point, uh, D.L. Moody once said, if I take care of my character, then my reputation will take care of itself. So imagine having a heart that is totally focused on God. Now, being pure in heart is the natural byproduct of the blessings and the beatitudes that we've mentioned so far. What I'm saying is, being pure in heart is not something that we can just manufacture on our own. Rather, it is granted to us by the grace of God. And who is it granted to? Well, having a pure purity of heart is granted to those who mourn their spiritual bankruptcy. Granted to those in mourning of their spiritual bankruptcy, uh, also walk in humility. So do you mourn over spiritual bankruptcy? Are you walking in humility? Do you hunger and thirst for His righteousness? Are you merciful towards other people? And God says that if you are, then the natural byproduct of this is that you will have a heart that is pure. So the looming question... Is how can we ever accomplish this? How can we ever accomplish having the purity of heart that Christ calls and expects from us? If we look at it, it seems as though, as though this beatitude is beyond our reach. It seems that Jesus is, is asking for perfection on our part. I mean, could it be? That he is expecting perfection from us? And before you shake your head, no. Look at the very last verse in this chapter. At the end of this first section of the Sermon on the Mount, this is precisely what he's saying. He says to be perfect. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. A call to perfection. If we're not careful, this will drive us to despair because none of us perfectly model all of the Beatitudes all of the time. So so then what are we to do? How do we respond? What is the right response to have? And there's only one answer. And that is that we cast ourselves upon the grace of God and we receive the radical renewal that he's seeking to accomplish in and through our lives. Perhaps it will help you to understand what he's talking about when he says to to be perfect. Perfect here means to be mature, means to be fully equipped. So this is a strong statement that God's ultimate standard of righteousness is God himself. And so we cannot achieve perfection except in and through Jesus Christ. So therefore, we, we must... Uh, handled this the spiritual balance between salvation and salvation is a is a free gift that we receive from God through faith in Jesus Christ and when we receive that salvation then we receive a positional sanctification so we received his gift and so because we receive that gift of salvation then God declares us not guilty And we're not deserving of the punishment that comes with with sin. That's death. But there must be a balance of receiving that salvation and then also striving towards Christ-like development in our lives. And so that's called progressive sanctification. That we're supposed to be growing in in Christ-like maturity. It doesn't mean that as soon as you become a believer, that you are perfectly sanctified in that moment. No, we're positionally sanctified, and then we're on this road of progression in our sanctification process. So the only way that we can be pure in heart is for us to give our lives to Jesus and ask Him to do the work within us. The psalmist declares in Psalm chapter 51, verse number 10, Create in me a pure heart. Oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Man, if we will do this, then these qualities will take root and they will grow and develop in our lives. So here, with the sixth beatitude, it says blessed or approved are those that are pure in heart. Here we must ask ourselves, is my heart, clean? Is my heart pure today? Maybe ask yourself the question, do I have a single heart devotion towards God? Now, the answer to the question may indicate either the authenticity of our faith, or if we're believers, the answer may reveal to us the state of our spiritual health. See, here, God demands a humanly impossible character, and then he gives us that character in and through his grace. And then in giving us that character that he demands that is impossible for us to achieve on its own, then he also gives us a a humanly impossible vision to see. Look at the reward. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, the word they is emphatic, which means blessed or approved are those that are pure in heart, for they and they alone will see God. So as with the other Beatitudes, the future tense is in a reference to order. They will see God as they become pure in heart. So so what this means is that it is actually possible to see God in life right now. Before you start thinking, Pastor's gone off the deep end. He's crazy. Bear with me. Let, let me show you what Scripture has to reveal to us. But it's possible for us to actually see God in life right now. It was Helen Keller who once said, as an answer to the question, isn't it terrible to be blind In which she replied, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but lacking vision. Purity opens spiritual eyes. Purity opens spiritual eyes. See, the more our hearts are focused on God, the more our hearts are absorbed with him, the more our hearts are concentrated on his being, freed from all other types of distractions in this world, the more we will see him. And how do we see him? We see God through his word. We see God in his creation. And sometimes even the adverse circumstances of our lives can help us to see and to sharpen our vision of who God is. Are you seeing Him? Have you seen Him? Do you know Him? So, so the question comes to mind, then when when will we see God? Well, I've got two answers for you. First of all, we will see God eternally. We'll see God eternally. The, the pure in heart will one day see God face to face, if you will. In heaven, we will continually Be seeing God. See, kings often would seclude themselves from direct contact from their people. It was a rare privilege to have an audience with the king. But for believers in heaven, we will forever have a perfect, unbroken fellowship with the king of kings. Man, that's awesome. So so this reality has always been the deepest longing of the redeemed souls. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 42, he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him to see him and to behold him So we will see God eternally. And then, not only that, we can see God presently. The pure in heart shall see God by faith. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse number 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So our present relationship with the Lord is compared to a reflection through a very dark or or, or dim mirror. See, we, we can faintly see the figure, but it's not completely distinct and clear. Therefore, we only see God, or we only see the totality of His truth in part. We only know God, or the totality of truth in part. However, the day is coming when we shall know God, even as He knows us, and that is perfectly. So our partial knowledge will be displaced one day by the perfect knowledge of God. Seeing God, I would say, in this life is the highest good because those who see him become more and more like him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18 says, And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, for those of us that are believers, this text ought to encourage us to enhance and develop the purity and the focus of our hearts or of our lives. So, real quickly, let me give you a couple of things that you can do to help enhance the focus of your heart, to help you develop that that purity of heart that that Christ calls from us so a few things first of all start by being honest just be honest be absolutely honest with God about your present heart condition so let me ask you is your heart inwardly clean and more is it pure in its focus and its devotion to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal unto you the exact condition of your heart. It's not a mystery. God doesn't want it to be a mystery for you. The question is, do you really want to know? Do you truly want to know and understand your position before the Holy Father today? It starts by being honest. Are are you honest and willing to ask God, Father, make known to me the condition of my heart. Make known to me where my loyalties seem to be divided. Make known to me where I lack the, the devotion that I'm supposed to have in and for and towards you. So it starts by being honest. And then number two, acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. Only God can do the work that's necessary. Now this is not to suggest passivity on our part. Not at all. A couple of references for you. Um, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Ever pick up on that phrase in Scripture? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then James says again, back to James chapter four verse eight: Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So again, understand: It's not talking about passivity on our part. It's just God do the work that's necessary, and then I'm good. No, there's a cooperation that needs to occur. The biblical balance is that I must do everything that I can and I must allow God to complete His work in and through my life. Again, Dwight L. Moody said we have to be emptied before we can be filled. And so we do the emptying process so that the Holy Spirit can fill our lives with the living Word. And so we admit our faults. We admit... Our sinful decisions, and then we ask him to remove them and their effects from our heart and from our lives. Thus, emptying ourselves of all the things that are impure so that he can fill us with all things that are pure. So acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. Then, number three, encourage you to fill yourselves with the Word of God. Fill yourselves with the Word of God. in the upper room that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. Already, verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That verse number three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I want to tell you that immersion and interaction with the word of God will help to purify your heart. And I want to encourage you not just to saturate your mind with God's Word, but to oversaturate it. To have a desperate longing to read God's Word, to study God's Word, to be disciplined, to opening up His Word more than just on a Sunday morning, but every day in our lives. Fill your mind with the Word of God. So we got to be honest. We acknowledge that only God can make our heart pure. We fill ourselves with God's word. And then, fourthly, I want to encourage you to think about what you will be in eternity. Think about what you'll be in eternity. Allow the hope of what's to come to help motivate you to stay the course. Uh, the Apostle John does a great job of explaining uh, such a hope and what that hope will do for us. In 1 John chapter three, he says, "Dear friends, we are already God's children. And that's enough right there. We're already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do, uh, but we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him, as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Allow the hope of what's to come to motivate you to stay the course. And right here in God's Word, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 3, it says, All who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure as he himself is pure. You and I are going to be transformed. Those of you who have experienced salvation and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me be clear because I realize not everyone belongs to God in this room today. But for those that do because of your faith in Jesus, then I say you and I one day will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Not only is this a mind-blowing reality, this ought to be our purifying hope. So, very similarly, Paul says, and I'll wrap up with this in Titus chapter 2, let this sink in. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And then he says, verse number 14, And he gave his life to free us. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. And then it says at the very end, totally committed to doing good deeds. <laughs> Man, look at that. Like, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his own people, and that are totally committed to doing good deeds. That's why he gave his life. That's what the the sacrifice of Jesus accomplishes on our behalf. We put our faith and trust in him. Then God imputes upon us the righteousness of his Son. Then he cleanses us. He makes us his very own people who are totally committed to doing good deeds. I want to ask you, are you totally committed to doing good deeds? Or, let's just go there, are you partially committed to doing good deeds? Are you conveniently committed to doing good deeds? Are you, I'm committed to doing good deeds, just don't demand too much from me. Are you committed to doing good deeds on your own timetable, on your own schedule? You just kind of come and go whenever you want, whenever you please, and whenever you happen to, you'll do the good deeds if it feels right? It's not what Scripture calls us to. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us His own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Maybe I'll end with the question on how committed are you? Are you totally committed to serving God in the capacity that He has equipped and enabled you to serve? Do you know what your ministry in life is? And are you serving Him in that capacity? The health of this church is largely dependent upon the members of this church serving in faithfulness in their Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit has equipped and enabled them to serve. Every child of God has been equipped by God to do something for his glory. How committed are you to doing the good works? And Scripture says the good works that He prepared in advance for us to do. God already knows the road path that we're on. He already knows the opportunities that lie before us. He's prepared them. He's trying to equip us to walk in faithful obedience to them. How committed are you? Are you willing today to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the condition of your heart? and upon what the holy spirit reveals to you will you make the necessary adjustments in your life that are needed so that you can r- walk out in a proper relationship with the father i hope so let's pray church father help us help us to have the development of a heart of purity in our lives help us to be honest and willing to seek to understand what our heart condition is. Help us to realize that it's only through you that we can have a purity of heart. So God, in this moment, I pray for those that are willing that you would make known to them the exact condition of our heart. For some in this room, uh, their heart condition is they're dead. They're spiritually dead because they never put saving faith in your son. God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. For the believers that are in this room, I pray that you would convict us of the sin that's in our lives. Help us to identify what's hindering us from totally being committed to doing the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. God, may this time be a time that we make decisions that honor and glorify you. May this altar at the front be filled with your people praying, confessing, crying out unto you seeking assistance from you in this moment father i pray that you are glorified in all that you see and all that you hear from us in christ's name i pray amen i encourage you if you feel like stand with us during this time this time of invitation if you'd like someone to pray with you or talk to you we'll be down here at the front the front is open for you to come and kneel and pray if you should choose whatever decision you need to make i encourage you to make it